0: The Healthy Golf Podcast, episode 17 with Mike Seltzer. Welcome to the Healthy Golf Podcast, a podcast designed to help you transform your golf game and your life. Join your host, Dr. Joe O, as he chats with experts on all things golf performance to keep you feeling great and playing your best on and off the course. Welcome to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast, and today I'm excited to bring on Mike Seltzer. Me and Mike have been talking over uh, social media for some time, and he is the strength coach at Bates College, which is located in Maine. And uh, Mike works with a whole bunch of athletes at Bates, but he also works with the golf team and uh, wanted to get his insight on working with college golfers. So Mike, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me.
0: Awesome, well, we'll get right into it, Mike. So first of all, how did you kind of get to where you are uh, in terms of like strength and conditioning and and, uh, how did you end up working with golfers?
1: Okay, Um, yeah, the quick version is post-college. I realized very quickly that wearing a shirt and tie and doing the business world was not what I was cut out to do. So it was a very short transition to go into the world of strength conditioning. And then over the years, uh, what what happened, what led me to Bates was I was training privately in Portland out of a couple different locations, training high school and college athletes primarily. Um, And then I I met my wife and my wife works for the college. She works in our admissions office. So through her, I met all of our coaches. And at that time, Bates did not have a designated strength conditioning professional. So their teams were kind of left to do whatever either the coaches could come up with or whatever they found online. Um, So it was a natural fit and it was a very organic kind of situation where one team would hire me, then another team, so forth and so on. So I stayed independent, charging the teams certain fees for the services that they asked for. Uh, And then eventually I was able to leave the gyms in Portland and focus all of my time at Bates and with our athletes, which again, over another couple of years after that, HR said, Hey, you know, we'll give you benefits and we're going to create the accounting line. And now you're the head strength conditioning coach. So it was a really awesome organic situation that just grew. So that's how I got to Bates college.
0: Nice. That's awesome. Now are you the primary just only strength coach for all the sports do you have some other people under you i'm sure you may get some interns here and there
1: uh so as of now i am the only person here so okay we have 31 varsity teams between men and women's sports um i oversee all of them except for six and the six that i don't oversee are the cross-country men and women's and then indoor track and outdoor track and field men and women's one of their assistant coaches who um, you might see walk behind me, we share an office together, he handles their programming. So everything else okay. falls under me. Okay. And with that, some of the teams are, are way more um, into their strength and conditioning or it's a bigger part of their program. Other teams, it's not such a big part. And so my availability or the time I spend with certain teams is much more with others than it is with
0: some. So. Sure. So um, I'm sure most people know that fitness is getting bigger and bigger in golf. I mean, we see all these young guys on tour getting mm-hmm. bigger, working out, and we see clips of them doing things. Um, how is that translating to what you're doing in the you know weight room with the with a, with a golf team?
1: Yeah, so with our golf team, my involvement with our golf team is really new. So I've been with some programs on campus for nine years. I've only really been helping with our golf team for one or two years. And the biggest part of that is because of our new golf coach. So Coach Fall came in, Henry came in, and you know Henry. Um, he came in, and he immediately was – he had been on the job for, like, six hours. And he was contacting me. He's like, what do we do for strength and conditioning? What are the workouts like? Can we sit? Can we talk? Can we chat about it? So he's – Uh, As you know, a super, he is very high energy. And, you know, so once he got here, he knew the value of it. So that's propelled it a lot. Um, So with our athletes, you know, the way I view training golfers is golfers are athletes just like any other athlete. So there are certain movement qualities, certain prerequisites, certain capacities that an athlete needs to build to be successful in their sport. And that doesn't necessarily mean that there's anything different if you play golf compared to, you know, name another sport. So we train hard in the weight room. I want them to train hard in the weight room. Um, And yes, there's some certain qualities to golf that are different than a basketball player. So we're going to work on those movement qualities per se, aside from or other than working, you know, certain muscle groups, right? I think, I think the way the training world has gone is we're understanding that we're training for movement quality and certain movement capacities and the ability to move well under a lot of stress and strain. Um, it's not necessarily training a muscle group because everything works so cohesively together. So some of the stuff that we like to spend a lot of time on, and again, I do this with all the athletes, is some form of anti-rotation training, Right, really trying to get them to understand that, Your body needs to have the braking mechanism before it's really going to let you unleash your power. Um, And I think easy conversations with golfers is always about swing speed, you know, specifically with the driver and to understand that if you have good lower body strength, specifically in my opinion, single leg strength um, for two reasons. One you're posting up on legs when you finish your swing and then two, the golf swing. You know, if you look at, and I'm sure you've looked at the numbers, and you, know, you could speak more to it than I can, but the body track numbers, when when somebody swings a driver, there's a big transfer of weight from your, to your trail leg and then back to your lead leg. So as an athlete, if you just look at it from an athletic development standpoint, it's a change of direction move. You're loading one hip and leg, and you're transferring and changing direction to the other leg. So again, all the stuff, all the qualities that I would look like or look at training for any of my other field sport athletes, those can still carry over to, to the sport of golf. And I can make you know, that big kind of educational talk with our athletes about the quality of single leg strength and how it's gonna to relate to your ability to stabilize that leg as you post up onto it or as you load and also change that direction really well. And then if we couple that with your ability to have the braking system that your body needs, then yeah, on top of that, we can add in all the rotational power stuff that probably people are searching out on the internet, on Instagram, on YouTube, um, that's super popular and all that stuff is good. Um, but the analogy we use is, this is a common analogy, I think, but you know, I, I'll ask the athletes, like you would never want to drive a car that didn't have brakes. Right, especially if you were driving it fast. And you know, you can kinda liken the body to the same thing. If I want to improve somebody's driver speed, then I gotta make sure that they have the ability to stop that movement so their body can actually express more quality movement, more power out of that. So it's kind of an overarching theme of how we approach it, right? So
0: perfect. Yeah. Yeah. I think um like what you were saying in terms of shifting weight from like say your trail leg to your lead leg. Definitely, and then slowing down. I know, at least in uh, TPI, you know, efficient energy transfer from the ground to your legs, like pelvis to your trunk to your arms to your hands to the club. Every time that they see something speed up, it, when it first starts with your hips and your pelvis, the next thing that's supposed to speed up is your trunk in an in an efficient swing. If, the as soon as the trunk speeds up, the hips are slowing down and then it just keeps going. If you think about it in terms of like a, like a whip, basically, um, that's exactly how it goes. And, um, it seems very counterintuitive, but yes, to, you need to work on things that will actually help slow you down and control that motion Mm -hmm. to actually get faster, which doesn't make any sense. But your analogy of driving a car with no brakes is absolutely perfect.
1: Yeah, because you create that that torque between the upper and lower body, then you have to control that torque. Um, it's why it's big. I I think important to to always hammer home golfers are athletes. That's we now know that. Look at, I mean Dustin Johnson just won the FedEx Cup. Look at him; he's an athlete. You know Rory's an athlete. They're all athletes. Brooks is an athlete. Tiger's an athlete. I think the more sports kids play when they're young helps develop overall athleticism, kinesthetic awareness. Um, body control, body movement. And then when you decide that, hey, golf might be the sport that I want to hone in on, and that's my passion, then that will have a much greater carryover to your ability to take instruction and and feel what a golf instructor is trying to do for you. And, And then when you come to the weight room, you can make easy correlations between rate of force development, how you train that for any athlete, and then taking that to to the golf course. So a vertical jump is a standard test for lower body power output. It's not just for basketball players, right? All of my field sport athletes have to understand that because sprinting is is involved in that. So is the golf swing, right? It's why when you watch the instructors break down somebody's swing, their feet are coming off the ground when they're swinging at those high speeds because they're utilizing the ground. So training the vertical jump for a golfer is going to have a carryover to how hard you can swing the, or how fast you can swing the club, right? Just like any of the other exercises somebody may use, right? And then you get into the conversation, which is a deep rabbit hole of what are good exercises and what are bad exercises. And my and you and I have had this conversation before, but I think my two cents is nothing is ever totally bad nothing is ever totally perfect it's just take the athlete that's in front of you and make sure that they are qualified to do the exercises that you're asking them to do from a range of motion standpoint a health standpoint a a joint motion prerequisite standpoint and then they should be able to execute that and as long as me as long as i can as their strength coach talk to them and and get them to understand the reasons why we're doing this, then their buy-in is going to increase and they're going to get way more benefit out of it. As opposed to me just barking at them and telling them to do an exercise just to do it when they might not be prepared to do it and they might not know why they're going to do it.
0: So. Yeah. Well, I I think that's great that you kind of explain why you're doing what you're doing with your athletes, even though, some of them, I'm sure, find it to be great. I know most of the kids at Bates probably do, um, but some yeah. probably other places probably could care less. But I think it's great that you at least do that and you express that.
1: Well, and I think, you know, my situation, Nescaq, Division Three. the amount of time that you have with your athletes is limited. The reason there can be one strength coach at this school is because we are governed by a stricter set of rules, which, which doesn't allow me to be, conducting training sessions with every team in the off season. So you have to have some way to communicate the reasons why they're doing it to have the buy-in because a lot of times they're left on their own to go do the exercise, you know? Gotcha. So, yeah. and like you said, some of the students here, I mean, it's a smart liberal arts school. So some of the kids really want to know that stuff. And then other guys just roll their eyes and they're like, I'm, I'm just going to go do the workout. Leave me alone.
0: And that's All fine. right? To do, right? Yeah. Have you uh, obviously you haven't had any pushback with uh, Henry, the golf coach, uh, since he you know wanted you to get started working with the golf team? And of course, you've already only had a couple of years working with the golf team. But even with some of the players so far, or um, anyone else, have you had any pushback from what you're doing with some of those kids in the weight room because they're afraid that you know it might mess up their game or they're going to get tight? All these other kind of myths.
1: I think that the the athletes we have on this campus, it's one of two. They either haven't done any strength conditioning in rest- in in preparation for golf. Um, and so they're willing to soak in anything you can. And you know, I just met two of our players. And I'm kind of the same stuff that we were just talking about about you know, the analogy of the car and we're gonna do these exercises for lower body strength, and here's why. And, you know, when I asked the question, is this completely new to you or do you or is this something that you've heard before? And, you know, they both said, yeah, the, my trainer at home said the same thing. So now now the buy ins there, they've done a lot of the stuff. That I'm going to ask them to work really well. Um, the only pushback maybe is just a couple of the guys that, you know, they're they want to play really good golf, but they also want to look a certain way. You know, so they might want to do some more of the bodybuilding style, focus on certain muscle groups that, you know, build the chest out or, you know, whatever, whatever they think is really important. And they but once they they acknowledge the fact that it might not be the most efficient use of their time to improve their golf, they're doing it and they know why they're doing it. There's no I wouldn't say there's any pushback from they believe that this is a better option for them compared to what I'm asking them to do. It's just, you know, they're eighteen to twenty two year old people that they have aesthetic aspirations as well as golf aspirations as well. So
0: sure. And I deal with that with every team. You know, you gotta have,
1: you know, you know, beach season's coming around the corner, you know, in another six months here and they're already starting
0: to think about it. So well, now's the time to do it. I don't yeah, think there's anything wrong exactly. with a little, you know, arm farm at the end of the end of the routine. No, they love like
1: their that. arm farm. You just gotta you just gotta throw in, give them a little taste of the arm farm every once in a while. And you and you get them you got them in your back pocket at that point.
0: Yep. So um speaking of, since a lot of these kids may not have much experience kind of in the weight room potentially, especially golf golfers what would you kind of recommend to like any kids who are in possibly high school that are going to be playing college golf or want to play uh, golf in college and maybe get a leg up or kind of just be prepared for what's going to be coming uh, for them in college?
1: I think one of the biggest things that a high school athlete can do that doesn't have experience is one, depending on every family situation if you can afford to hire a trainer, hire a trainer, you know, that 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 trainer's job is, if they're a good trainer, is they're going to, they're gonna cater the program to that person's specific needs. And they're gonna look at that person's specific movements and where they might need to improve certain movement qualities. If you use TPI as an example and think about those, those assessments or screens, um, to allow the athlete to feel success, right? And we know that really any strength training at, at a young age when you're when you're a novice is gonna give you improvements. The key is trying to get with somebody and understand that the more simple you can keep it, the more efficiently or the quicker you're gonna experience those those gains, right? Those improvements. If you're constantly searching out variety, you're not going to get the progressive adaptation that you're after to you know, be able to recruit force and improve your rate of force development, um, and then move down the spectrum to your, your velocity movements, your plyometric training, your swing speed training, whatever that might be at that point in time. So I think for athletes, find, the, find somebody that you can work with, that you trust, um, and if you're not in that type of position to be able to do that, then you want to want to take some basic basic movements and become very good at those basic movements. Maybe it's a it's a unilateral based leg exercise like a split squat. You know, become a master of the split squat before you try and put a bar on your back, or even a front squat, which requires more ankle motion, right? So unless you have somebody like yourself that can evaluate individual athlete and say, here's where you're at. Now let's, this is where our program needs to adapt to be able to be able to give you success. If they're on their own, pick something that you can do relatively easily, relatively safely, safely risk versus reward, right? High, high reward with low rate of risk, which in my opinion, something like a split squat, um, is a, is a high reward, low risk exercise you know, become really good at that, become really good at your anti-rotation exercises, which might be a side plank, which is anti-lateral flexion and even extension, right? So something, you know, along those lines of understanding simple is that the KISS principle still, I think, is, is the way that we should operate. And even here with my athletes, partly because of the situation, but because I believe in that so much, We focus on all those basic exercises, you know, 85, 90% of the time, 10%. I'll give you the, the kind of variety that you might be searching out, right. That the sexy stuff you might see on Instagram that, that looks cool, but doesn't really provide the same benefit as, you know, the basic exercises.
0: Yeah. I think the, you know, exactly what you said, one, if you can choose a program and you have to stick with it for a while and it's it really stinks just in general because you want to see progress but unfortunately it takes the body a long time to actually adapt and make progress so you're not going to see those changes for you know eight to twelve weeks probably at a minimum and it can get really uh, draining on you as a person that's going through this and it's like nothing's changing maybe i should change it up just don't change course just stick it out keep going because if you change it up again, kind of like what Mike said, you're going to end up losing kind of that, you know, adaptive change over time. And then um, you gave a couple examples of some basic movements, like a split squat, a side plank, what would be some other basic movements if you know, they can't afford or, you know, work with a trainer or anything along those lines just for in case anyone's listening.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think my favorite anti-rotation exercises is, is whether you call it an anti-rotation press or the pal-off press um, Is my number one that goes into everyone's program will vary the You know because in strength conditioning and training you have certain variables that you change and that's how you alter Your desired outcome, right? So you have your it's all it's all time under tension so you have your sets your reps and the duration of of how long it takes you to complete a rep, right which will then tell you the amount of load that you're going to use when you're going to do it. So we'll go from a basic standing position um, and we'll start with a, t- say a 20 second hold. And then we might go to pulses or press outs and we'll hold the out position for maybe two seconds and we'll bring it back in. And, and now we we'll, might do sets where the rep scheme is eight to 10 on those um, whereby now they can probably increase their load because of the, Of the way that we're programming the exercise, then we start to now change the lower body positioning, the stance. So now it becomes: Are we doing it into a split stance? Is it a tall split stance? Is it a is it a short split stance where you're essentially into a split squat position, but your knee is off the ground? Or do we go to a full tall kneeling or half kneeling position? So just by changing those variables, we've taken one exercise and we've started to change the demand on the body, right? So I think that that is the exercise that, without a doubt, is somebody says, anti-rotation, create the breaks. That's going to be my go-to. Um, it's my personal one as far as the exercise that I think I teach well, you know, as opposed to something different. You know, and I think um, – from, you know, any trainers, that's the other, that's the other part of the equation is you might have all the data that tells you that you want to do or have an athlete do a certain exercise. But if you don't know how to coach it really well, and you're not comfortable coaching it really well, you're not going to coach it well to them. Right. So we'll always use that one. Um, If I have time to teach the kettlebell swing, I think it's a really good hip dominant hip power exercise, but Again, I th- I also think that's teaching intensive, and so it kind of depends on the athlete in front of me at that time. Um, and we'll do a lot of inverted rowing, whether it's with a TRX or a bar. I think the upper body, specifically pulling strength, is really important because when you finish that swing, that's those that's that's the strength you need to decelerate that that swing from the upper body standpoint. Um, and then our progressions on our Lower body is always going to go split squat, change the variables, rear foot elevated split squat, change the variables. Um, And then maybe depending on the athlete, we'll go into single leg squatting traditionally, stepping off the box or um, where your leg's coming off to the side or whatever to be able to lower down safely and then come back up. We don't do... I would say with my athletes, if I've got two or three, it will be two or three single leg unilateral uh, lower body exercises to one bilateral. You know, Usually it's a goblet squat, front squat exercise. Um, and then the same thing for our pushing. You know, we're, we're, we're pulling to pushing. We're typically gonna do two or three pulling exercises to one or two pushing exercises. Um, so we'll hammer, we'll hammer out inverted rowing um, bench rows pull up chin up variations before really own that before we get into a ton of chest pressing type stuff and and when we do our chest pressing with all the athletes we'll do a lot of one arm chest pressing body eccentric work really engaging the core as we do that stabilizing the shoulder all that typical stuff and go through so nice.
0: Yeah. Great breakdown. Love it.
1: That was good. Yeah, good.
0: Um, I know that sometimes, probably, I'm sure it varies, but with some of the college golfers, you may find that some of them have uh, some mobility issues. And I know that you are big into functional range conditioning, mm-hmm. which is a specific, for anyone who doesn't know, a specific kind of uh, yeah. philosophy slash treatment style. Um, what kinds of things have you had, found common with your golfers if you're doing, uh, some of that with them. Uh, yeah.
1: So I think common, um, with the golfers is you're going to see a lot of, uh, and, and you're going to see it. I'm sure you see it with your TPI screens. You'll see a lot of poor hip movement, you know, so that's number one. I'll even see some shoulder stuff, um, upper back stuff, thoracic spine stuff, maybe with, with FRC, the biggest thing that we focus on here because of the environment is our CARS routine is the FRC CARS routine routine for anyone that doesn't know that it just stands for controlled articular rotations. So I spend a lot of time going over this with our athletes and those rotations are simply a controlled rotation of a joint through a full range of motion, which under the guidelines of again, full range of motion, without recruiting any pain under control with no compensations. So basically you want to, if it's a shoulder or a hip, that's a ball and socket joint that has a ton of range of motion. I want to make sure that I can move either one of those saves the shoulder and express a full range of motion, create the biggest circle I can without compensating, without recruiting pain. You know, all those, all those criteria that I just listed, and that's going to tell me what my, the term we use, what my workspace is. So that's going to tell me how well my shoulder is functioning. And if I feel something or me as the coach, I see something, I see a compensation, I see a bending to the left side if I'm using my right shoulder, I see the body kind of open up to that direction, spine extend when I go into, sp- into shoulder flexion, elbow bending to cheat shoulder flexion, then I can start to pick a, pick apart where that athlete is. And so by and large, for all of our athletes, this is not just golf-specific, with the shoulder and the hip, I'll see really poor hip internal rotation, and I'll see really poor shoulder flexion. And when they try and raise their arm to an overhead position, they'll a lot of athletes will start to extend their back to cheat and get their arm to a completely vertical position. So they'll either extend the back or they'll bend the elbow both which can cheat the position. And so our athletes are supposed to do their cars every time they come in and use it as a self-evaluation. So you can use it as a tool to self-evaluate and see where you're at that day and also start to pick apart how you would need to adjust the program to compensate and and adjust accordingly to to that movement And it's also a way to engage all of the receptors in the joint capsule that are going to give the nervous system afferent feedback about where we are in space and how fast we're moving and the quality of the movement and all these different variables. So it's a really powerful tool that doesn't take any equipment and it really doesn't take any more than three to five minutes a day to go through these for all of our joints. But if I stay with the shoulder, I'll catch athletes all the time compensating for shoulder flexion. And then I can say, okay, well, if there's a, you know, I program a lot of half kneeling overhead presses for certain athletes, but if they can't get their shoulder to, to get to full shoulder flexion, I don't want them fully pressing overhead. I want to alter that maybe with the landmine variation, because if I say, go ahead and do it anyway, now you're adding load to a a movement that your body doesn't want to get to and can't get to. On its own, so now it's it's more stress on your spine, more stress on the shoulder. Right, so those are that's kind of how we go about, or I go about using our cars routine. Um, there's a lot more, obviously, in the methodology, but that becomes very individualized when when I catch that person and see that how do we how do we evaluate this further um, and what do we need to now implement to improve that. So I've had swimmers that need a ton of shoulder flexion and they don't have it without compensation, right? Golfers need internal and external rotation of the hips. And you get into a car routine and you see them do their hip cars and you see really poor internal or external, excuse me, internal or external rotation, now you can get them on the ground or onto a table or whatever the whatever you're going to do with them, whatever way that you need to evaluate them further, and you can start to improve that. And so the basic premise of FRC is if you can improve the fundamental joint motion of the person in front of you, then being able to do the movements you want them to do becomes that much easier. Right. So um, I use myself as an example all the time. I don't have good forearm pronation, so I don't pronate well on my right with my right. So I don't do a lot of standard pull ups. Because right, I can't get the full pronation. So if I grab a pull-up bar and start pulling, I'm cranking on my elbow in a position that it doesn't really like to be in. So I will one hundred percent of the time end up with some form of elbow pain. Right. So I just I need to train differently. And it can be a skill set thing to um, a weight wound thing. You know, it, it can be like my example in the pull-up, or it can be, you know, a golf coach trying to get the person in front of them to get to a certain position in their swing, but their body just doesn't have the ability to get there. So, you know, if I had an athlete squatting and they don't have good hip rotation and good hip movement, I'm not going to put a bar on their back and load it with 225 pounds and say squat, because I'm going to force you into it. That's a good way to get somebody hurt. Right. So we utilize the cars in a number of ways, but it's really about checking your range of motion checking your ability to move one joint independently um, to evaluate your fundamental joint motion and then to improve upon it so that it doesn't matter what you want to do in the weight room we're gonna you should have success with that and then you should be able to take that success in the weight room to so the golf course and be able to swing the way that feels right for you that was a really Perfect. long-winded way to say that that's okay
0: yeah. But, Correct me if I'm wrong, but um, just in case people don't know, but cars, are, obviously you use them as an assessment, but those can also be as a treatment as well. Obviously, it's all individualized, like you have mentioned, and may, they may need specific things uh, based on what they see. But generally, cars can also work as just a general treatment if you're lacking some motion, Correct.
1: Yes, it it can be so cars or we have stuff called cars correctives. So how do we fix those using smaller doses of them? Um, and we have different levels of cars in this system. So level one is like, oh, I'm just going to do my warm up. Right. It's it's maybe visualizing, you know, if, if you think about tightening your body or tightening a muscle to 100 percent, it might say. Again, in the shoulder, I'm going to tense my body at about 20 or 30%. And I'm going to execute this motion, which is just a way to resist any compensation, right? Then we can do level two, which sometimes they're called like honest cars. So with level one, especially with a young athlete, you want them getting used to doing the movement, but there's going to be probably some compensation, and you have to live with, the le- especially when you're working with college athletes and big teams, you know, um, if I have a team in front of me doing it, I can't correct every single athlete. So I'll live with that. When we get to level two, which I'll program as an active recovery for our athletes in the workouts, then we'll call it honest. And you'll set up positions where they're blocking the opposite side compensation, right? So if, if I'm moving my right leg, through a hip car and my compensation is going to lean to my left, they'll hug the side of a, of a power rack, put that rack system right on their hip. And now if they lean to the left, they can feel it, right? So now they know that they start to compensate. So you'll see the range of motion drastically decrease because now it's an honest, true movement. Or picture the three-foot foam rollers into your sternum, into a wall in front of you, then do a shoulder movement. And if you're twisting your torso as you do the movement, you're gonna feel it or you're gonna lose the foam roller. Again, that that would be more of like a level two in any way that we do it. And there's you know a million different ways to do it, it's individual. And then our level three becomes now a true higher level training situation. Um, and that's where we're asking for max irradiation, max tension, max effort. It might be a longer duration I'll put some baseball players in the past through some different shoulder movements that we do and done it as a level three and taught them how to coach each other. And I'll do it with the swimming program as well. And they're smoked at the end of it. Like you're, you're, you're done. It's like doing a a max out set with weight. You're just forcing it a different way. You're training it a different way. So you can use them anyway, from rehab being really low level on the spectrum, um, as far as our intensity to all the way, max it out hundred percent, give me hundred percent max effort. And you're going to be really tired after this. And you're probably going to be sore too. And we haven't even put a weight in your hands, you know, and that's true with anything though. If you, again, we go back to the split squat. If you're doing rehab with somebody, you might be doing body weight eccentric or, or isometric split squats. It's a rehab exercise. Then you just continue it down this spectrum. If I load them with heavy weight, or I make them do it biometrically, now it's a performance training exercise. So yep. it's yeah. it's just understanding the overall concepts of stuff, and then applying it the way that we want it to apply to fit the needs that are yep. in front of us.
0: Perfect. Well, Mike, I want to uh, respect your time. I just have a few uh, fun questions here at the end for you.
1: Okay.
0: What uh? What's your what's the Best course you've ever played golf on?
1: Oh, St. Andrews.
0: Nice. There you go. Not
1: the old course, though. Not the yeah. old. I had to go to one of the easy courses.
0: Fort <laughs> Fernberry. Um, I think I might know this answer, but the second question is, uh, you have a risky approach shot to the green. Are you going for it or laying up?
1: Yeah, I'm going for it. Yep. <laughs> I mean, I'm not good enough to, to worry about. I don't know. I think it works for both people. My golf game isn't good enough to worry about what my score might end up being. So yeah. Amateur golfers. We're going to go for it.
0: Yeah. What uh and then last question here, you're going to go out for a round. Who's in your dream foursome?
1: Holy crap. I have never. Wow. Uh, okay. Well, tiger has to be in it. Do I have to choose golfers? Or can I choose anybody? It can
0: be anybody, anybody, anybody you want. Usually Tiger is one of the uh, I mean, Tiger
1: has to be in it. That, that's, that's absolutely. Uh, MJ has to be in it. And then I got to think. Oof. Hmm. I don't know. I mean, New England guy, I'll pick Brady. I'll go with Tom Brady. You know? I'll just go with four really amazing athletes. Why don't there you we go. do that?
0: Keep it simple. Yeah. I think that would be fun. I mean, between one just being with Tiger, seeing him play, Michael yeah. and his competitiveness, yeah. and then Tom Brady, I feel like you could you could probably hang with Tom after watching him on the,
1: <laughs> yeah. the challenge. Yeah, <laughs> I, th- I think so.
0: He's a gamer, though.
1: He did hole up in the fairway with Charles barking in his ear. So he
0: did he? Did <laughs> that was that was very impressive.
1: <laughs> that was amazing. That's why you're a professional athlete, and I'm sitting in this keyboard. <laughs>
0: So. what what uh any last words of wisdom for anyone who wants to you know is training for golf or you know college athlete high school athlete doesn't matter who it is but any last words of wisdom
1: yeah i think the biggest thing is don't it's don't get discouraged with any setbacks you might have if you look at the best athletes i don't even care if it's tiger or MJ or any of these people that or Tom Brady or any of these people that I just mentioned, like, or any of the athletes here at a division three school, everyone's had setbacks. And so the athletes that get where they want to go is they keep pushing forward and they keep kind of, yeah, it might upset a setback might upset you, whether it's an injury or a coach, you know, cutting you or, you know, whatever it might be um, family situation, but the ones that get where they wanna go is they, is they acknowledge that and then they get it behind them and they keep driving themselves to continue to put in the effort, stay the course, um, and then create habits. So we did talk about like what high school, what I think high school or young athletes should do for their strength conditioning. They should know it doesn't need to be an hour long workout. To build a habit, it can be a short workout, especially when you're young, 30 minutes. 45 minutes, 20 minutes, start to build a habit that you can take daily to allow you to have repeatable success. So Those that was a great tip. Yeah.
0: Great yeah. tips. Love it. If anyone wants to get in contact with you, Mike, or, um, you know, ask you questions or pick your brain about things, where can people get in contact with you?
1: Yeah. So if you want, I'm not on Facebook. Um, Instagram is mseltzer 22 uh, and then my email here at Bates, just mseltzer at bates.edu is probably the the two easiest ways to get a hold of me. So happy to answer any questions.
0: Yeah, I'll put those in the show notes if anyone wants to to reach out to you. But uh thanks for joining us on this episode, Mike.
1: Thank you very much.
0: All right. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Healthy Golf Podcast. Again, big thanks to Mike Seltzer for coming on and sharing his knowledge. I think Mike had a lot of great thoughts and points when it comes to training and not only for junior and collegiate golfers, but for all golfers for that point, uh, in terms of keeping it simple and only doing the sexy things that you see online every so often. And then his last few points there are, you know, don't don't get discouraged. You know, you got to have that grit to fight through any kinds of failures and, Building a habit, you know, start off small. Those are big things right there that can really help create consistent change over time, whether that's in your health or your golf game or any other goal that you're trying to achieve. Again, if you want to reach out to Mike, I'm going to link up his uh, connection spots on Instagram and email in the show notes. If you have any questions for him, feel free to reach out to him or myself. But let's end the show at this point. Again, I'm always grateful and thankful for you guys spending the time downloading and listening to the show. Please, if you haven't done so already, share this with someone that you think would uh, really benefit from it. And if you haven't done so, please rate and review the show on whichever uh, platform that you're using to listen to uh, podcasts. But until next time, keep striving for excellence because when you feel great, you go off great.